let us consider the opening images to Michelangelo Antonioni's inscrutable 1966 picture, Blow Up. We see a large meadow of short, rich green grass, over which the credits appear. Large white letters declare, Premier Productions Company Incorporated. Another credit announces this to be a Carlo Ponti production. But there is something unusual going on with these letters. It is as if they are now windows, offering us a view into something else. It's hard to see, but the next credit, the film title, gives us a more detailed look. The title letters come at us, they blow up, and we see a photographer waving his arms at a model perched on a platform. Train carriages roll past on the left of frame, and members of the public look on at this spectacle. The letters keep coming at us, and just as they are about to consume the entire frame, the green meadow is re-established and the cast and crew members are listed. Why the transparency? Well, the sequence is presented so it looks as though the letters are giving us a glimpse of something that is happening, not so much as elsewhere, as much as behind the green grass of the meadow. In other words, the credits hint that we should look behind the image, delve beneath its surface and investigate what is happening within it. They don't mean anything when I do them. Just a mess. Afterwards, I find something to hang on to. Like that. Like, like that leg. And it sorts itself out. And adds up. It's like finding a clue in a detective story. The credit's over. We find ourselves in a modern urban landscape, deep in the heart of London. Surrounded by a building complex, the structures are so tall and severe, they appear like a fortress. This raw concrete design is typical of the brutalist architecture that dominated the post-war European aesthetic. It is also typical of the locations Antonioni used in his four previous films, La Ventura, La Notte, L'Eclisse and the Red Desert, where modern architecture expresses the existential dread felt by his lead characters. Suddenly, a military jeep appears in the building's courtyard a group of revellers yelling and shouting in celebration. Just what they are celebrating isn't important because, as the jeep careens around the complex, we see the revellers have their faces painted white, indicating that they are mime artists. However, since mime artists aren't supposed to use their vocal cords, we are prompted to listen beyond the sounds, delve beneath their non-verbal voices and investigate what is really being heard which suggests that the film's title now has two meanings. Look and listen. Together, Blow Up will be as much a sonic experience as much as a visual one. After all, when you blow something up, it is hardly silent. The next setting is also urban, but it is neither modern nor does it loom over us like a fortress. On the contrary, there is a gate, and a line of destitute men are filing out through it. The composition recalls the very first image ever projected upon a screen, the Lumiere brothers' workers leaving the factory. Antonioni's camera does not favour or single out any of these men, yet hidden within their number is the film's lead character. Moments later, a seemingly dishevelled man walks down a street and jumps into a Rolls Royce. His scruffy clothes were not so much scruffy clothes as they were a disguise. 
a uniform used to trick us into misinterpreting what we are seeing. He drives through the streets, swerves into a lane, parks his car and enters a photographer's studio. This is Thomas, a young, charismatic and much in demand fashion photographer. And that profession gives us every reason to inspect with great scrutiny the meaning of all the film's cryptic images. As written by Antonioni and his regular collaborator Tony Noguera, and then portrayed by actor David Hemmings, Thomas is an impetuous, selfish and rather nasty young man. All of which encourages us to examine Thomas's attitude towards his art and also the people, specifically the women, around him. Ready? I've been ready for nearly an hour. Good. For Thomas, the picture is the only thing that matters and everyone and everything else comes a distant second. Nonetheless, Hemmings left it the chance to work with one of Europe's leading directors. But when it came time to see the finished film, he was less than impressed. I didn't understand the picture at all because I didn't know what was going on. I had a script of 14 pages. And originally it was called A Girl, A Photographer and A Beautiful April Morning, which was a title I adored. And I thought the sequence, which most people say is incredibly suspenseful, was dreadfully slow. And I was literally going, oh, get on with it, get on with it. Oh, God. Loved it the second time I saw it, but hated it. But the thing about the film is, whatever one may say, or whatever people have said, it is very much Antonioni's picture. However confused Hemmings may have been, and no matter how enigmatic blow-up has remained, the film is very much grounded in the milieu of 1960s London. Hemming's character was based on a number of British photographers, David Bailey, Terence Donovan and Brian Duffy, who changed not only the face and pace of London's fashion photography, but also world fashion. Moreover, beyond making a film about images and making his lead character a photographer, Antonioni was also saying something about film directors. As much as fashion designers drew up daywear and evening gowns, it was Bailey, Donovan and Duffy who would become the auteurs of the photo spreads. Where once Harper's Bazaar, Vogue, Elle and Cosmopolitan had published girls with pearls frozen in studio-bound tableaus, La Photo de Mama, suddenly the editorials sprang to life with modernity, mobility and amusement. La Nouvelle Vague had arrived. Cameras were lighter, film stocks faster, and fashion was fun. Furthermore, just as British models Jean Shrimpton, Celia Hammond and Pauline Stone were photographed almost exclusively and respectively by Bailey, Donovan and Duffy, so too were Monica Vitti, Delphine Sevig, Claudia Cardinale, Jeanne Moreau, Stephanie Audran, Anna Karina and Bebby Anderson repeatedly and respectively cast by Antonioni, Alan René, Lucina Visconti, Louis Mal, Claude Chabrol, Jean-Luc Godard and Ingmar Bergman. Here is Terence Donovan from the 1960s explaining the symbiotic relationship between photographer and model. Really good models seem to make the kind of artificial thing of being on a piece of white paper justifiable. Most people, if photographed on a piece of white paper, look very embarrassed. They don't understand what they're actually doing there. And a really good model when you're looking through the back of the camera, is completely involved with what you're doing. It's very strange, it's very magic. Blow Up was Antonioni's second film in colour, and that is important considering the first time he departed from monochrome. Colour was so central on that occasion, it is right there in the title, The Red Desert. But 
Where colour cinema had traditionally saturated the print, so everything was rich and vibrant, Antonioni developed a new idea, desaturation, which made the differences between the colours that much more profound. The red desert opens with dull greens, putrid browns and dirty greys, before giving way to toxic yellows, hectic reds and nauseating blues. However, even when working in black and white, Antonioni had explored the differences between the polarities. For instance, in La Ventura, Monica Vitti's Claudia has blonde hair but is almost always dressed in black, while Lea Merzari's Anna has dark brown hair and for the short time we see her in the film, is frequently dressed in white. Reinforcing those differences, Antonioni would carefully position the women within the frame so that their clothes and hair stood out against the background, be it walls, landscapes, water, skies and rocks. In Blow Up, costume designer Jocelyn Rickards dressed Thomas in two outfits. One, the dishevelled clothes that disguised him amongst the destitute men, while the other, despite being suitably chic, merges him not only with the fashionable people around London. His light blue patterned shirt, white jeans, black boots and a racing green sports jacket allow him to blend into the surroundings. And this is most evident during the film's central sequence, his visit to the park, where he unwittingly photographs a murder. But once more, we're not supposed to only look at the film, we have to listen just as carefully. Take the specially commissioned soundtrack by Herbie Hancock. Hancock was born in Chicago in 1940, and while studying at Hyde Park Academy, his prodigious talent earned him a place to compete for the Young Artist Prize with the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. Initially, Hancock had submitted to perform Mozart's 18th Piano Concerto in D major. But very late in the submission process, Hancock was informed that the CSO did not have the players to perform that composition in full but instead they could do Mozart's 26th Piano Concerto. Hancock had no choice, but yet at the tender age of just 11 years old, the prodigy rose to the challenge and won first prize. Hancock then extended his gift into composition, and even though he received no formal training, he gravitated towards jazz. He found a mentor in Chris Anderson and was sought out by Miles Davis for his second great quintet. But by then, at the age of just 22, Hancock had already delivered this masterpiece. A small part of the score is delivered by the Yardbirds, but what score Hancock delivered for Blow Up is curiously underused. And that leaves a lingering question as to why Antonioni approached Hancock if he knew his music would barely feature in the film. But it is not really a case of how little Hancock's music is heard, as how it is heard.
Antonioni uses it diegetically so that it is fully integrated into Thomas's environment, in his car, in his studio and on his gramophone. And that brings us back to the environmental sound, the most enigmatic sound that dominates the film's sonic landscape. This is what we hear when Thomas is in the park taking photographs. But what is of particular interest is the way Antonioni shows Thomas examining the photographs. Ordinarily, we would have expected Antonioni and his editor Frank Clark to cut from one print to the next. But instead, Antonioni had his cinematographer Carlo Di Palma pan the camera back and forth between the images. This results in an unexpected reinvention of montage. Amongst other things, Antonioni is using the tension generated by the mystery genre to explore film language. Antonioni began his career making documentaries. In those studies, he displayed not only a keen interest in architecture, he also showed a unique understanding of correlating character to environment. The effects of the Marshall Plan, which saw billions of American dollars poured into reviving Western Europe, resulted in enormous economic and social changes in 1950s Italy. These changes prompted Antonioni to create a new way of dealing with characters and stories. Antonioni tried as much as he could to dispense with plot and focus instead on the phenomenon of being. Where dialogue scenes traditionally cut back and forth between the characters, thus reinforcing a cause and effect relationship between them, and by extension their motivations, the plot and everything around them, Antonioni minimised editing patterns, preferring instead to go for slow cinema where his characters, placed within the same wide shot, avoid talking to one another. Which results in our not looking at the faces, but rather the spaces between them. And when a character is left alone in the frame, we then notice the empty space around them. More than any other director, Antonioni introduced negative space to cinema, and then he reinforced that negative space by negating plot. Which means that in Blow Up, Thomas is constantly being distracted, or distracting himself, from any sense of central purpose. And that results in his failing to solve the puzzle that, in other films, Alfred Hitchcock's Rear Window, Francis Ford Coppola's The Conversation, or Brian De Palma's Blowout, would be the heart of the film. So, what is at the heart of Blow Up? Take another look, and have another listen. Oh!